Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Listening to this show is my weekly dose of abuse, and I deserve it. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you here the middle of September. Wow, fall is just around the corner. And on this week's show in Pipe Parts, we have a Ask the Blender with the head blender, Jeremy Reeves. And then my guest is a uh, new-to-me pipe maker who I met uh, at uh, the NASPC show. His name is Jason Patrick. We get to meet Jason. And then we'll have uh, music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, remember, uh, September 21st is the cutoff to pre-register for the Vegas Pipe Show, the Las Vegas International Pipe Show. If you go online to VegasPipeShow.com, pay your admission fee there, and then you get entered to win one of two pipe sets. One of two pipe sets that has been donated by the Virtual Pipe Club, so thank you very much to them. That's right, two. Two, 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 count them. So go online, pay your registration there. It also helps us calculate how many people are going to be there. And if you haven't heard enough of me talking about the uh, Las Vegas International Pipe Show, there are videos on YouTube right now with me and Shane Ireland from Smoking Pipes. And uh, Peter Piper NYC uh, sat down. We talked about the uh, upcoming pipe show. And then uh, as I hear it uh, tomorrow, Country Squire Radio. I'm uh, going to be hanging out with Bo talking about the pipe show. So, all right, that's enough of that. <laughs> um, anyway, VegasPipeShow.com. Go there. All right, let's get the show rolling because we got a big one. So, everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. Are you looking for that rare or favorite tobacco? Are you wanting to sell those blends or pipes you no longer fancy? Then visit tinbits.com, the pipe collector's auction site, and begin your search. Browse our ever-changing selection of fine and elusive luxury tobaccos, pipes and smokers' requisites, and bid on items in an exciting auction setting. Visit us at www.tinbids.com and sign up for free today. tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show for Pipe Parts and Ask the Blender. And remember, if you want your question answered by Jeremy, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, and we'll get it on the show. Uh, Jeremy, ready for your question? Yes, sir. So uh, this one kind of makes me jealous because Guy is writing from Scotland, and that just makes Mm -hmm. me jealous right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to be in Scotland right now. Yeah. Uh, He says, hi, Brian. I was recently watching various blend reviews online and two reviewers of one European brand independently of each other when looking at the leaf in the tins said the contents were high quality leaf or premium tobacco. It got me thinking. How can you tell how can you tell if uh, how can you tell the leaf is high quality or premium by just looking at the contents. I certainly know a good blend when I smoke it, but there is some telltale sign from the look of the leaf in the tin that says premium or high quality. I'd be grateful to I'd be grateful to hear your and Jeremy Reeves thoughts, guy. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, how do we as unknowing not master head blenders know just from looking at a blend is the leaf 
high quality? Is it premium? Or is it just how pretty the sticker is on the can that says it? Yep. If I could <laughs> if I could just look at cut tobacco and tell the quality based on visual appearance yep. of a bunch of different kinds of tobacco cut into relatively thin ribbon and blended together. Yep. <laughs> I I think I would be further ahead in life than I am. You, you would also I, know the Powerball numbers for next week. <laughs> That's what I mean. I would I would be further ahead in life if I had that kind of uh, that kind of ability to to visually assess a situation. Um, I would I would be I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be doing yeah. I'd be doing something. <laughs> you'd be uh, sitting on a wa- you'd be sitting on a beach in the Cayman Islands with your offshore account counting your lottery winnings. Well, right, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have to blend very much at all to get a blend right because I would be able to uh, you know visually assess <laughs> very quickly and uh, you know figure out exactly what proportions things needed to go in. Now, unfortunately, I'm I'm like the questioner. I think that uh, it, it is possible to know quality by the smoke. Um, you can know that a color is really pretty when you're looking at ribbon cut tobacco and you can you can maybe if there's enough of a particular type of tobacco in in the blend, you can assess whether or not that color is consistent. Um, but even then that's not going to tell you premium quality or not it is it is difficult to assess consistent quality in a whole leaf of tobacco um you know when you're comparing you know uh 15 or 20 leaves from a from a particular crop um it can be difficult to assess the quality of that lot of tobacco just visually you need to be able to handle it um and there are a number of different factors that will tell you about the quality of that lot of tobacco that won't be present in the ribbon cut version of it one of the things that you'd be looking for is the color of the stem um another (laughs) thing that you would be looking for is uh what we call leaf structure which is uh an indication in the texture of the lamina uh, as to whether or not the cells of the leaf have been saturated with oil and with sap or whether they have been so oversaturated with oil and sap that they've actually burst, leaving sort of a rough, very, very fine sandpaper kind of kind of feel to the lamina. Um that indicates to me that it's going to have really good burning qualities and that the leaf is really rich and overripe. If I'm looking at a red Virginia or a very dark, dark fired tobacco. Um, but those things are going to be really tough to visually assess. Um, even if you've got a whole leaf in front of you and they're extremely difficult for me to imagine how you would visually assess in the tip. Now from a, from a consumer standpoint and and I and and I are just a consumer at this point. Uh, there's a couple of things that I look for on a finished blend to know mm-hmm. is it a higher quality than others. And please tell me if I'm, you know, feel free to tell me when I'm full of shit because you know it'd be like my wife just standing right here telling me, uh, <laughs> you know, my daily dosage of humility. Uh, when I look at a blend and I look at, you know, open up the tin or look at the product, if I see a lot of stems or what looks like uh, what's commonly called as bird's eyes in the industry, which is sure. cross-cut pieces of the stem. So it looks like, you know, you know, like when you go into one of those, uh, you know, one of those Northwestern lodges and the big fireplace and they got the big piece of table that's cut out of a cross section of a redwood tree and you see all the grain of the wood and everything. Well, they're little sure. tiny pieces that look like that. So if I see stem or bird's eye in it, I automatically think, all right, the manufacturer's cutting corners and is weighting it down and isn't shaking it out as much or cleaning the or yeah, they're not they're not spending the extra money to strip that center vein out. 
the other thing that I look for is how big are the pieces of the leaf? If there's a lot of uh, shake in it, which is what's, mm-hmm. you know, little tiny pieces, uh, the better manufacturers spend a lot of time and money uh, getting all the small pieces, the shake, which I'm sure Cornell and Deal does, get the shake out of the blend and then sell the shake off to a reconstituted tobacco factory or a moist snuff factory or somebody else. Right. Uh, but, right. you know, especially in the case of like Cornell and Deal, where you may not have enough shake really to warrant you know, sending a truckload up to uh, Skoll in Copenhagen, uh, you're just losing money on that weight. So, That's right. We sift it out. Yeah. And we spend a lot of time going through because even even after uh, the stem is mechanically separated, which when you're when you're using a hundred thousand pounds of of tobacco in a year, um, and you've got a handful of a handful of folks, four four people who are blending that tobacco and then you've got uh eight yeah eight people um that are packaging that tobacco we are not hand stripping every leaf that comes in the door those things are mechanically stripped for us um and we are we are buying mechanically stripped tobacco that we either cut into ribbon for our ribbon cut needs or in some cases we have large volumes of that tobacco cut into ribbon for us um by by companies that have larger larger equipment than we do and (laughs) that can that can offer that kind of a service um but we spend a lot of time even in those instances where we have very very low uh, thresholds for the amount of stem content in in the product that we have cut but what may to the consumer even look like oh this is a piece of stem there are veins that run through the lamina of the leaf that are impossible there's yeah. there's no way to get rid of all of the pieces of the stem that vein into the lamina and those things i think are more commonly uh found than people realize and identified as being bird's eye um so we spend a lot of time hand you know hand picking through the leaf that we get um that we are working with to blend and and hand picking through the cut tobaccos that we have as well and picking out pieces that Sometimes, rather than being perfectly cut, cross-cut, which gives you the, writ, the the bird's eye, if that same piece gets cut lengthwise, it's like a little toothpick. Yep, <laughs> and it'll poke under your fingernail when you grab it. Yep, that's right. So we we do we spend a lot of time going through uh, going through the tobacco that we are blending with by hand and picking those pieces out. Um, and, and that's weight that we've paid for that we are throwing away. Um, and at every stage, whether we are pulling tobacco out of the boxes and, and gently manipulating the tobacco apart because it's pressed down into, into the boxes that tobacco ships in, um, it's, it's compressed down with, uh, uh, big press that perfectly fits flat into the box. Um, so everything is in these sheets. Uh, so you kind of have to peel tobacco out of the C48 containers <laughs> yeah. um, and, and massage the leaf apart gently so that you're not just crushing it to dust. Um, and then you get more breakage that, and shake. We're pulling out pieces of leaf. Um, and, then, and then when we are blending with it, we're again pulling out any pieces that we come across, uh, you know, woody bits, whether they be, you know, smaller pieces of stem that have just made it through the mechanical process and made it through the initial peel and it out of the box, uh, all the way through to all the way through to tinning. Um, we are 
because because we're doing everything by hand, um, and even the the machines that we do have are machines that are of a size that one person is operating it and one person is feeding product into it and one person is taking that product out of it. We are always in visual and, and touch contact with the tobacco that we are working with. And so at every, at every one of those stages, things like that are being pulled out. So you're absolutely right. That is a, that is a good a good assessment. I was thinking more in terms of, of the quality of the tobacco itself, but you're absolutely right that uh, things that are not lamina being pulled out do speak to a premium product. So I want to say, first of all, Jeremy said that I'm right. So that means that we are not married. Uh, <laughs> if there ever, if ever there was a question as to whether or not we are married, that just answered it right there. Yep. I love my wife dearly. She's not listening. Never does. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I will say that in the past, I worked for a certain tobacco company, which narrows it down to most of them. Uh, right. <laughs> that about 25% of the weight by volume of leaf that was purchased was not used in a finished blend. So yeah. 25% of the weight and that center stem is a good chunk of that weight right away. So they were buying whole leaf and had big stripping machines and did all that there. Cause right. Uh, but 25% of the leaf was not used. And then it was acceptable in the finished blend to have about two to 3% of bird's eyes or shake at the end of it. That was the right. acceptable level. And that was two or 3% by weight. So, um, right. Great question, Guy. Great answer, Jeremy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. And we'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop, too, is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Milafolge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is a pipe maker who I got to see his work at the uh, most recent uh, Columbus NASPC show. And um, I don't say this often, but let me just say I was impressed. So, Jason Patrick, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Good to be here. Yeah. So, all right. So let's get to know you because I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't know who you were until I walked by and saw your pipes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can plead ignorant, but I, this time I'll just plead stupid. Um, so where where are you from? Where did you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow? What did you want to be when you growed up? Yeah. Uh, did you do that? and so on yeah so um i'm born and raised in the chicagoland area northwest suburbs um grew up in in lake in the hills uh illinois which was probably the last suburb before you get farmland and then uh when i was <laughs> turned about 20 we moved to elgin so i've been in in elgin ever since and uh been married for 23 years and have uh have six kids so oh, hold, hold on hold on hold on hold on i've seen you <laughs> And, and as we're recording this, I'm looking at you. Yes. You've been married for how long and you still, and you have all those kids and you still have a, a full head of hair and no wrinkles. Yep. All right. Whatever's in the yep. water in Elgin, I want bottle it. I want it. That's, <laughs> yeah, we did get married as babies. I was, I was 20 when I got married. So, uh, yeah, but, uh been doing it since it's been good our youngest is 10 so i'm actually like you know 
we're we're doing it. My my oldest is at DePaul in uh, in Chicago, so we we have one in college and three in high school, and yeah, so it's wow. fun. Wow! So boys, girls, and even mix. Uh two two girls and uh, and four boys. So yeah, oh, boy. it's a well, that's... It's, a, it's a full it's a full life. Yeah, but in a fight in the house, those two girls, I bet those boys don't have a chance. No, that's true. The oldest, my oldest is, is a, is a girl. And so she kind of, you know, operated as a third parent, whether we liked it or not. And, <laughs> you know, and, and kept her brothers in line. And and then my, yes, my, my next daughter is my fifth in, in birth order, but she, uh, she can, she can dance with the rest of them just fine. So <laughs> she does all right. <laughs> and I bet the 10 year old might've ended up with some makeup on them here and there. <laughs> yeah, nail polish makeup. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. I don't, I don't have yeah. a doll to play with. I got a baby brother. Let's decorate him. That's, that's exactly what it is. So, <laughs> wow. All right. So, growing up out the in the, I mean, Elgin, lots of history in in watches, yeah. which I'm a fan of. But uh, what did you want to be when you grew up, and did you do it? Man, I I didn't think much about that until I was actually doing it. And so, like, <laughs> I grew up. Um, yeah, I grew up just. Yeah, in a, in a kind of a normal suburban childhood environment, and didn't really think much about what I wanted to be. But uh, I grew up in church, and so you know, I, I ended up becoming a pastor when I was um, when I was about twenty two, and I was doing pastoring, and then I was also in sales. And so um, we transitioned into my wife and I transitioned into like full time ministry when I was probably about ten years ago. But um, yeah, my work life has always kind of been um, fluid. And so I, 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 you know, I've always done more than one job. And so currently right now I do, um, I, I, I pastor a small community in, in Elgin. We, I, I make pipes and I do professional photography. So the three P's I, I do those things. And so, and they ebb and flow depending on the season. So, you know, we're kind of coming into a photography season right now. So I'll slow down a little on pipe making, but yeah, pipe making is the most recent one though. So you got preaching, piping, and uh, photoing. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Try to keep it simple. And keep in mind, six kids. Yeah. And uh, they're at ages where they, you know, they. I do a lot of work before, you know, while they're in school, but then after they go to bed too, because there's just a lot of busyness while they're home. So. Yeah. Well, the good news is if you keep those three jobs going, then you don't have time for a seventh kid. That's there will be no seventh kid. There will be yeah, no more kids. Yeah, we we actually our bottom four were adopted through the foster care system, and when we um and we adopted them by by twos. So my oldest were biological, and then we adopted a sibling set, and then we adopted another sibling set. And when we did the second sibling set, we were like, yeah, that was that was more <laughs> than we than we bargained for. Love them all to death, and 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 six is just a lot. There's just it's just a lot. So. So you got two that were chosen for you and four that you selected for you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I always tell people the family you select is oftentimes more important than the family that you are brought That's in. It. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. So the, uh, so when, when does pipe smoking come into all this and, and how do you find time for it? <laughs> Yeah, so pipe pipe smoking. So my grandpa smoked a pipe. I think most people have some sort of connection to pipes. Like in in when I've talked to people, I found that it's actually usually not this really strong connection. Just some random uncle or you know. So my grandfather smoked a pipe, and it was just so interesting to me the way that um, a pipe like just elevated everything. It just felt it felt more important. It felt more. Uh, profound and serious and so just from a really early age and, and you know like i kind of liked the idea of that so i started smoking a pipe when i was in my uh probably my mid-20s and so I, I i started with cigars and just realized after having a couple kids i can't afford this and so i i kind of transitioned to pipes from there um and and then didn't really i didn't really smoke a ton but um whenever i whenever I would want to enjoy something, I'd smoke a pipe. But I was often kind of pretty frustrated with the cheap pipes that I had kind of selected. And I didn't know what I was looking for in a pipe. And so um, that journey kind of went until 
um, until my wife and I planted a church. And when, uh, when we planted a church, I had uh, a really good friend give me some great advice. He basically said, Hey, if you work with your mind, you have to rest with doing something with your hands. And if you work with your hands, you rest by, you know, doing like reading a book or doing yeah. something. And so realizing that most of my work was, um, pretty heady, I needed some sort of hands-on hobby. And so mm -hmm. I just made my first pipe and, uh, and it was a war club and it was atrocious, but I loved <laughs> that pipe. <laughs> so that was February of 2019. I started. So it was part of it also because, you know, you've, you've got a, you've got a big young family and, you know, you couldn't afford to get out of those, you know, get into the next tier of pipes. So it was like, well, maybe I'll try making one. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really think that I would end up becoming an artisan pipe maker. I did. That wasn't like in the cards. I did want to make one. I actually didn't really know that a pipe could smoke better than what I'd experienced. I just <laughs> knew that it wasn't uh, super awesome for me. And so the ones that I had weren't, uh, you know, I had just basket pipes and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, so, but yeah, I made that first one and I, and it was, it was awful, but I just loved the process. And so, um, part of, part of pipe making for me is an intersection of like engineering and art. Yeah. And that is what photography is. And, and so like, it just, that's kind of my personality is I need something to just be precise and, and super functional. And, and then, you know, the added benefit is if it can be, you know, beautiful as well. So. And then the added benefit of you have uh, mother nature that can always throw a curveball at you and you have no control over it. That's right. That's right. That is, that is real. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I first got started, so my very first pipe show was actually Chicago in 2019 and I'd made about, I don't know, four, four or five pipes at that point. And so I was there and I was like, I'm going to buy supplies. And I bought, I think I bought like four blocks of briar because that's all I could afford. And I bought like some pre-made stems and, uh, and two of those blocks just had pits that I couldn't really work around it. I just remember thinking this, this is awful. <laughs> that, that little chunk of wood cost me $25. How am I ever going <laughs> to? So yeah, it was just a, it was just a journey into, uh, you know, yeah, it's almost like gambling too. <laughs> <laughs> uh so let, let's go back to your uh to the church i mean obviously that was that was kind of a calling and and not a yeah. not a quick calling either it seems like you uh it seems like you kind of um wandered a little bit with the calling until you decided to dive right in yeah so i so what you know right out of like right out of my young adult kind of era i was i was working in the church the whole time, but I was also doing full-time sales. And so I was a salesman for 14 years at a, at a mapping company. And, uh, and then I would, I, I was like the youth pastor at the church. And so, and then it kind of got to the point after we adopted, um, our, our first set of kids where I just realized I can't travel to the degree that I've been traveling yeah. and, and have kids at home that are really needing me to be around more. So I, my wife and I felt like it was time for a career change. And so I, I at that point I came on staff at the church that I'd been at for that whole time, full time as the community pastor there. And so that, that has been a, just a huge part of my life, just my, just faith, but also like, um, the way that community can operate when it is, has a focal point. I, I really just believe in that. And so, um, you know, we all, uh, we all need, especially like COVID has really just shown us like people are just a really big deal. We, I, I believe we're created for relationships. And so, a lot of that is, uh, is, is walked out in, in faith communities. And so that's, that's part of definitely a big part of my story. And that actually like really intersects with the pipe community too. I've just seen, um, so much how like deep meaningful friendships are formed, you know, uh, through the community and at these shows and just the different, every, every time I've gotten together in, in a pipe community environment, I've just been really, really stunned by the, the depth of, um, you know, relationships and stuff that I see there and just the long-term friendships that form out of that. Let's take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more pipe making and uh, maybe a little photography with uh, Jason. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. 
Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with, uh, well, I'm going to add a fourth P to the pastor, photographer, pipe maker, and parent, uh, uh, whose last name is Patrick. So there's a fifth P uh, with Jason Patrick. So uh, before the break, you said something that really kind of piqued my interest, and in and that's you know the meaningful relationships and the conversations that happen uh, just with the, with the pipes, with the pipe smoking community, uh, you're right. And I've always wondered, and maybe you can weigh on, weigh in on this a little bit, but I think the, I think one of the key things that, uh, that makes us interested in pipes is that we are also interested in deeper thoughts and maybe knowing not just why, but how and, and when. Yeah, I have found that the thing about smoking a pipe is, um, it's it's deliberate. It's very deliberate. You know, it's it's from everything from the everything from packing your bowl to lighting to, um, to the enjoyment of it. And you know, it's it's a wonderful thing to do with a friend, but it's also just mostly enjoyed just by yourself. And so I do think that like there is something about slowing the speed of life down to be able to enjoy. A pipe and uh, for me that's like a minimum of 45 minutes i'm not you know i don't i'm not like a torching through my pipe there and i don't have a like real small bowl so it could be anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half or whatever and so and yeah it's like i'm i'm not i'm not looking at my phone while i'm doing it i'm just you know just trying to <laughs> engage with you know some deeper deeper parts of life so i have i have found that it, it you know as i as i talk with people that are pipe smokers and i've actually talked to a lot of pastors that smoke pipe um it just seems like, yeah, there's just more of a, yeah, just some deeper thoughts that go on there. Yeah. And, and you may be alone and you're sitting there with your pipe and smoking and having a fairly intense conversation with yourself. Absolutely. Yep. Or, I tell my, I tell my kids, some of my best conversations are with myself. Yeah. <laughs> if you hear me talking, it's probably just to me. <laughs> I've had some arguments with myself and I've lost them too. That is, that is true. The flip side is that you you've also won them. So, <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I'm conflicted. <laughs> uh, um, so, how often do you get a chance to smoke a pipe? Is it a daily, weekly? Yeah, a couple times a week usually. So, you know, in the summer it's more. I you know living in the Chicagoland area, I don't smoke in the house, and so, um, man, it drops in in the winter quite a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, in the summer. I'll take a walk or I have a, I have a really big back deck that backs to a forest preserve. And that's just a great time to get outside. And so, yeah, I, I, it's not, it's not, I'm definitely not a daily, a daily smoker. Um, but yeah, I definitely enjoy it at least on the weekly. Uh, early on in your pipe smoking with you being in the Chicago area, did you get a chance to go to some of the, uh, Chicago's got some great pipe shops. It does. Yeah. So my first, um, so I, I have a, there's a, there's a, a little shop near me in, um, in St. Charles, Illinois called La Vida. And yeah. so, and they kind of cater to, to cigars, but have recently upped their game, especially with, with tobacco. They, they didn't used to have a ton. They have a lot of house blends, but then they also have started to bring in some tins. And so that would be my kind of my shop when I went there. But then, um, you know, I wasn't really plugged into the pipe community in Chicago until I started making, uh, pipes. But definitely Arlington Pipe uh, and Cigar up in Arlington Heights and E1 Reese in in Chicago have been um, places that I have you know loved to linger and and visit. So, yeah. So talk to me. Talk me through that process of you kind of coming out of you, you were in the closet as a pipe smoker. Nobody That's knew right. about it, and then 
and then you decided you wanted to up your game. Was there, was there a moment in your life that just went, aha, or, you know, I need to do this more or. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, it was interesting after, like, after I started making pipes, I definitely started smoking them more because um, I wanted to make sure that they would work, you know? And so I'd start smoking them more, but I, I remember going into Ewan Reese and um, if, you know, for those that are familiar with that shop, there's a guy that, that was there named Douglas and Douglas right. was just a, a huge character. And, uh, and I actually, this was right after I made my first pipe. And this again was this war club. That was just an awful pipe. <laughs> and I, and I, I brought it in and showed it to him, like thinking that he'd be pretty impressed with that. And he was not, you know, <laughs> just, and just, you know, was kind, but was just not impressed. And so I think for me, you know, I, I also have a buddy that, uh, started smoking pipes around the same time that okay. I started making them. And so, and so having somebody to go with actually helped just, I did it more, you know, having somebody to kind of do it with was, was a big deal. And so, um, as he kind of got into that, I realized, man, I know more about this than you do. And I don't know very much about it at all. And so, but then we kind of learned together and then started to export tobacco a little bit and things like that. So, so did you go through the process of figuring out how to make a pipe and getting all the equipment and working with somebody, or did you just use YouTube and dive in on your own? I just dove in on my own and that's pretty much how I do everything. I, I'm one of those guys that I, I would love for you to know how good I am at something, but I don't want you to know when I'm like bad at it. And so, <laughs> you know, and so I, I, I learned and, um, I, you know, the, the pipe makers forum was, it was a huge help there. Um, you know, Tyler Beard, who was actually just at the show yeah. uh, that, that I met you at was, uh, you know, he, he put together just great content there. And then that rolled into also a Facebook, uh, like kind of group. And that group is actually where I, where I really, uh, got just some amazing help. And, and, you know, while the pipe smoking community is, is just, you know, this wonderful close knit community, the pipe making community is actually a lot like that. And so there were, there are guys on that forum that are professional, you know, pipe makers that have been doing it for, you know, 10, 15 plus years that'll take the time to talk to a guy like me who's asking just really entry-level questions. And, and, uh, and there's a few guys on that, on that forum that really, um, that really helped me to kind of continue to progress and grow and guys I would message guys I would face FaceTime and chat with and they'd be in their workshop. And so, yeah, I, I learned alone, but I really had, a, I, I asked a lot of questions and just had a, there's a community there that was really helpful. Who was the guy, who was the the wise ass guy that would tell you all right go make a billiard and then make it right? <laughs> Todd Baynard. Uh, he's he he yeah he's kind of known as Sass or Sasquatch in the yeah. pipe making community and and he's a billiard guy and 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 yeah the go make a hundred billiards is like such good advice and it's just so discouraging for somebody that's that's i'm not it's like i might never ever make a hundred anything I, I, and i personally don't love the billiard shape i have learned to love it be, because of what it what it represents which is like a, just a really a really beautiful simple pipe that that smokes really well and is really easy to give feedback on like if you you either make it or you don't. And if you don't, like it's, it's clear that you didn't. And so, um, yeah, but Todd was the one that just basically said, come, come talk to me after you've made 20, 25 billiards. <laughs> Go away, kid. You're bothering me. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in the nicest possible way, but yes. <laughs> uh, so what are some of your favorite shapes to make? Cause I, I saw your pipes and I was looking at them going, you know, I automatically go for the Lavats or the long shank little you know saddle bit pipes you had a couple of them there and i was looking at him going all right he didn't hate this one but well so the lavat is is the shape that I, I make and so i picked one billiard shape that i could that i could that i liked and so and then that was it and i just i do make a lot of those i'm you know even for that show i made i made five i made two more for commissions earlier so i, I probably made eight of them in august you know and so um yeah so that's that's the shape and 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 while I, I don't own one yet, like I, ha I haven't, but I do like making that and I've become super comfortable with it. And, you know, and I've, I've learned to appreciate it in a way because the other thing about that shape is it's, it's, it removes all of the extraneous briar. So what yeah. you're left with 
is a smoking machine that's very lightweight. If if it's done, you know, um, you know, if proportionally, it, it can be very lightweight. And so you're talking about a pipe that's, you know, maybe thirty to thirty-five grams, which is very easy to clench for a long period of time. You, I do love a saddle bit. Most of almost probably ninety percent of my pipes have a saddle have a saddle bit on them, um, just because that's what I like. So. And the uh, in the Levat, you kind of need a special piece of wood in order to get that length of shank as well as the bowl. Yeah, I gotta have you know I I when I'm buying briar, it's got to be at least it's four inches long for me. So like, and I make them fairly short. Um, you know, I'm looking at a five to five and a half inch pipe overall, but I look for a four inch piece of briar there, which you know is is not like hard to find, but there's definitely pieces that just won't work for it. And as holes show up in the shank, the shank gets shorter and shorter and the stem gets longer and longer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, oh, it's going to be a bamboo piece or it's going to be yeah. <laughs> something else or, or it's going to be a garbage. <laughs> you know, sometimes what happens, but. Uh, so what other, what shapes are kind of giving you fits and tantrums now? Or are there, are there any that you're just like, I'm not selling that or I can't. Yeah. Yeah, I won't sell a blowfish right now. I just can't do it to the point where I'm happy with the way it turns out. And actually, I've just hit pause on even making them because it's it's just a shape that is unbelievably intriguing to me. But if you don't do it right, it just doesn't. It just looks terrible. And so I won't do any of those. Um, I there's a couple pipes that I've never attempted to make. Um, you know, like a like a 55 with a big old chin on it. I'm I'm not. I don't love that, you know, I do what, what I, and this, this was, um, from watching like a Todd Johnson on, you know, I follow him on Instagram and just having a couple conversations with him over messenger there. I, I, I do love just taking a really beautiful piece of briar, going straight to the sanding disc, finding the grain and just following it. And so I do do some freehand sort of, um, pipes that I've really enjoyed just, uh, that feels like the artistic, that's like the highest level of artistic for me is when you're doing, you know, a shape before you drill and you just are following the grain and just looking for what the briar wants to be. And so I, I've been doing more of those. Um, and I, I think I probably, I probably enjoy that the most. That feels, that's just really fun. But I, I love a Dublin shape. I mean, for me, a Dublin is, uh, is I love them. You know, any, any iteration, uh, you know, I've made several iterations of them and, and I like I really like that. I do like a volcano. You know, I think uh, those tend to be heavy, and I'm and I, I clench a lot, so I don't, um, I don't, I don't make them necessarily for me, but I do love making those. They, they're just fun shape to make. It's just an upside down Dublin. It is, you know, it is. It's and you know the grain. It's basically the grain goes two ways. It's either going to flare up or flare out, you know, and, and or flare in or flare out, and that's that's what you work with. The volcano is actually a better overall pipe for smoking because you get the density of the wood down towards that's the middle right. and bottom of the bowl where the bowl is going to get hotter. So it's going to dissipate the heat and kind of contain that more. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, so how many pipes are you, are you, do you think you'll make a year? I mean, I guess it all depends yeah. on soccer, high school, football, college, yeah. work, photography. It's that's true. Uh, the way it's shaping up right now is about a hundred a year. Wow. So about two, two pipes a week. Um, yeah. So that's, um, that's the pace this year. Last year it was a little bit less, but I, I feel like what's, what's happened is I'm still, I'm still like growing and learning. I haven't really hit a stride where I feel like, Oh, I've kind of, I've kind of hit a peak here that I'm going to have to maintain. Um, and then I think what will probably happen next year is I might even slow down a little bit and lean into more of the freehand ones and do maybe less pipes, but spend more time on them. Um, so yeah, I just, it, a lot of this for me, since I'm not using this as like a, as like a primary source of income, it is a source of income, but it's not a primary source of income. Um, I, I have, I really make sure that I like, like every part of the process still. And I can see where I could turn into like a production machine, but that really wouldn't be enjoyable for me. And so I won't, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And, and what I like, I like what you said about, you know, you, you really don't like, you don't want to do a bad blowfish. So why even try one? Cause you wouldn't That's smoke it. it. And, you know, I think I can tell oftentimes when a pipe maker is happier with a pipe because they had more fun making it than one that they were unhappy with. 
Yeah, I think it's true. I, I made one. I made one blowfish, and I was I was like, man, I kind of like this, but it feels off. And then a guy that I'd been working with, Kadesh Swanson, was mm-hmm. like, dude, that's not a good blowfish. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks for thanks for your honesty. And I ended up giving it to my daughter, who it's, I gave it to her as her first pipe, and she loves it. And so she's not worried about the things that I worry about in the pipe. So. Wait, she's the one in college, right? That's right. Okay. No, she's she's a ten year old. Give her a first pipe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, where can we go to see what pipes you have for sale, or pester you about making a pipe for us? Yeah. So I I'm on Instagram is is the primary place that I go is just Jason Patrick Pipes. Um, I do have a I do have an Etsy store through there, but I'm actually going to be phasing that out. Um, I I. I got a couple pipes a few pipes into Ewan Reese actually so uh they they picked up a couple of my pipes at this last show and so I think I'll be working with Chuck there a little bit more but we'll just kind of see how that relationship develops but mostly it's just Instagram and I do I do commissions about half of the pipes I do are commissions and the other half are just what I want to make and price wise where are they starting out yeah my, they start up about $200 and they go up to about 350 so I'm I'm kind of in that range right now for so for my work basically you're at the ten dollar an hour labor rate there you go there you go <laughs> i i if i think about that i get sad i don't want to do that so yeah. well, don't. <laughs> all right so get them while he's cheap that's uh, right <laughs> um, i didn't say that out loud did i uh jason patrick we'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions no right answer no wrong answer just whatever comes to your mind are you ready ready what is your favorite pipe Okay, right now I picked up a uh, a Yeti pipe, a small uh, acorn at the Chicago Pipe Show, and I love that pipe. It's a beautiful pipe with Bakelite and some Mammoth, and I just love everything about it. So the pipe maker was wandering away from his table and found something else that he had to buy. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is your favorite tobacco? So Lane BCA, that's what I smoke almost all of the time. And I feel a little embarrassed about that, but I just love that stuff. Can't get enough of it. Hey, we, we celebrate aromatics and, you know, people that like to smoke bubblegum tobaccos too. So you, you be proud with what you're, with with what you enjoy. I like my hookah tobacco and that's that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What is your favorite drink? And don't say Kool-Aid now. Oh, so I'm a Scotch guy, and so an Isla Scotch is is absolutely what I love. Um, and right now, I'm, uh, you know, it's uh, it, Ardbeg stuff is is what I really go for. So Ardbeg Ugadal is a cask strength uh, Isla Scotch that I absolutely love. See, now that's where he's spending his money instead of on that's the right. aged vintage tobaccos like some of us. He's spending it on the Scotch. So that's right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Yeah, a book for sure. Any particular yeah. type? You know, when it's so I read a lot as a pastor, but when it when it comes time to read and just for fun, I like I nerd out on just sci fi fantasy stuff. That's I'll stay there. Yeah, it's a little uh, yeah. Uh, and then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Man. I, yeah. Yeah, I actually think my favorite mo- most recent one was just the Chicago the Chicago show in general. Um going back to a show for the first time in in you know in 3 years I hadn't been to a show and uh and uh, man going to that smoking tent and just looking around and you know I, I was there on Thursday and you know Tom Altain walked in and I was like man I'm smoking a pipe with Tom Altain it just yeah it was the the, the uh, fanboy in me came out strong at that show and that that was just a great memory so I walked out of the Friday night buffet dinner out the back corner where I knew there was a smoking area and I took a cup of coffee and I went out there and about a minute and a half later here comes Tom Altain he said I saw you go out there I was wondering if we could smoke <laughs> so we're <laughs> We're standing out back by the by the dumpster. Having, you know, That's right. There you go. Me and Tom Eltang and then uh, Mike McNeil from McClellan showed up. So I know that was great great Tom, times. Yeah, Tom and I didn't have to say anything at all after Mike showed up. So. <laughs> That's uh, great. J- 
Jason, thank you very much for coming on and doing this. We're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on you, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you at uh, at a couple other pipe shows in the future. And uh, you know, just great getting to great getting to know you, and uh, and it was fun fondling your pipes a couple of weeks ago there in, in Columbus. Yes, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it, and it's great being on the show with you today. We'll be back in just a minute. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, Savinelli produces high quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, do check out everything uh, Jason's doing. And uh, yeah, six kids and all that work. Wow. All right, for music, uh, you know... You can't hate Huey Lewis in the news. And they've got the perfect song for a lot of us pipe smokers. So I figured, all right, let's play it here. And it's featured in Back to the Future, the movie. Uh, Huey Lewis in the news doing Back in Time.
Could you imagine all the things you would go back in time and buy now, knowing now what you do now, know now, you know? Yeah. There's some things I'd go back in time for. Uh, anyway, Huey Lewis in the news, who's uh, uh, had the greatest, uh, greatest, uh, the greatest title for a greatest hits album ever. It was called Four Chords and Seven Albums Ago. Three little words. Got mail. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email them directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com, or go to PipesMagazine.com and post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page, or in the forums, and I'll read them right here. Uh, and Dino says, going back to last week, I again really enjoyed the conversation you and Fred shared. Like jazz music musicians trading fours, you both complimented each other's ideas and riffed on your own variations. And as always, the insights are of benefit to new and seasoned smokers. Nicely done. Uh, thanks for the poetic shout out, but really me instead of Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan tune. Let's be serious. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you got. Uh, and then yes, get out and smoke those pipes in public. Whenever I do, I almost always get a thumbs up or a smile from those who pass by. Occasionally I get a Karen who waves her hands to protect herself from the toxic fumes of my tobacco. And I respond by waving a portion of my own hand. <laughs> um, I'm further amazed that she doesn't perform this uh, eco theater as a Chicago Transit Authority bus belches out a plume of diesel exhaust as it pulls away from the nearby curb. Thanks for an always entertaining show, Dino. <laughs> uh then Casey Ghost says, another great show. Fred is such a joy to listen to, and he keeps you from committing an occasional faux pas. <laughs> uh, granted, we enjoy those. <laughs> I about died laughing at your comment that bent pipes are like training wheels. You blew it on that one. I give personal testimony that bent pipes are far more difficult to smoke, that when you eventually try a straight pipe, they are a piece of cake. Uh, I didn't know what to think about the quote-unquote music, uh, it wasn't good poetry, but then it was a lot better than some of the yahoos you bring on to sing. <laughs> uh, Dino's was kind of amusing. Uh, maybe if you read a chapter of My Lady Nicotine by J.M. Barry, that might be that might have been worthy of the time. I really like your suggestion to smoke outside, but I can't clench a pipe to save my soul. Well, hold it in one hand. That's one way to do it. <laughs> Uh, and then Renfield writes, uh, Brian, thanks for another enjoyable show. When talking about mentorship, you snuck in a valuable nugget on pipe smoking technique that bears repeating. Tamping to build and maintain a slight mound in the tobacco. This subtle detail makes a pipe burn more evenly and can even help compensate for less than perfect pack, in my experience. I'd add that tampers like the 8-deco brand with a concave foot facilitate shaping this, the ember this way. Proudly, piping in public, Renfield. Uh, you're right. Absolutely right. And uh, yes, I do. I have several of those 8-deco tampers. Uh, and then Honky Tonk Man says, Hey, Brian, always enjoy a wander inside Fred's head. Referring to pipe shapes, bent or straight, when I first started smoking a pipe, I really had no idea which way to go. I own several of either shape, but find that I'm reaching for my Dunhill 120s more than uh, than any than any of my other pipes. That pipe really is a good smoke, as are all of my Dunhills, but the shape 120 just fantastic. I didn't have any pipe mentoring per se, only what I've had from YouTube and of course your show and the forum. Certainly a sign of times, yeah. I surely do wish I had the opportunity to have visited a real pipe shop, sit down, smoke, and chew the fat with like-minded guys. By the way, started trying the dome tamping method. Seems to be doing something for the smoke as ever. Thanks for a great show, Honky Tonk Man. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. And then uh, James writes, uh, Brian, always a treat to listen to you and Fred Hanna. Since 1963 marked my entrance as a member of humanity, I also have the perspective of how life has changed so drastically and quickly. As someone who is new to the pipe scene, were it not for the internet and social media, I would still be in the dark smoking cheap aromatics with a Dr. Graybo. I would not have benefited from learning from guys like you and Fred and your other guests were it not for the modern communication technology. My dad is a good example of someone 
who did not cross paths with experienced uh, pipers and still would be smoking the same boring tobacco if I hadn't introduced him to blends I have tasted and that I learned about from your podcast. I'm happy to be here in the present and probably wouldn't want to be sent into the past unless I was given the ability to change it. Best wishes, Pipe Rookie James. (laughs) I like that. Or you could go back in time with Huey Lewis in the news. And then uh, lastly, Bryant writes, uh, Hi, Brian, as I write this, we are mourning the loss of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. On a much lighter note, it was great to hear another installment of Inside Fred's Head. As much as I enjoy listening to the two of you share rich memories of your shared pipe-smoking past, it makes me regret that I got into the hobby so late in life. Unlike Fred and yourself, my mentors are all seen and heard through various medias. First, it was Rick Newcomb, then I was lucky enough to hear about your podcast. You've been the most powerful voice in my education, and I appreciate it. Your poetry reading was interesting. I think I prefer music. Keep up the good work, my friend. Best regards, Bryant. Uh, you got it, yeah. And uh, before we wrap up the mailbag, let me just say, yes, you know, the passing of Queen Elizabeth, and then last week I was remiss in mentioning the passing of Joe Lankford, who uh, was, a, uh, was a dear friend and always had... Always had a big smile on his face and will be missed. So, All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, and rant time is next. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell & Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. Here's a bit of an example of what's wrong with our medical community, our, our, our healthcare community right now. Um, yes, you know, the people that work in it, I've never run into a bad person, but the system is broken. And the, here's how the system is broken. Now, this body that's talking to you right now is getting older and parts are just randomly breaking or having issues. So no, nothing to be worried about, but... I wanted to have some stuff looked at, and I went in, and the doctor said, all right, we need you to go get blood work. So you got to go over to the lab and go get blood work. I went over to the lab, got blood work. It took them two weeks to realize that one of the samples that they drew was not big enough. Two weeks, right? All right, so they tell me that. The doctor's office tells me that, and then it takes another five days to get an actual order to have that one sample redrawn. And then I head over there to the lab, and they don't have that order. So then I go back home, and it takes me two days to get a hold of the doctor's office again. And they give me the order, and then I go back over to the lab, and the lab says, well, we got to charge you for it. And I said, no, you screwed it up in the first place. You didn't draw enough. Well, we don't have proof of that, so... Long story short, it's now taken three and a half weeks to get one more test done, and it looks like they want me to pay for it. So I'm going to pay for it and then just waste their time and argue with them for a while. But what do they care? It takes two, three days to get a hold of somebody on the phone because the system is broken because and the system is beating down the people that work in it so much that they don't, you know, 
they're just overworked and underpaid and they're exhausted. So that's a, a microcosm of, a, of an example of what's wrong with the current healthcare system here in the United States. And it might take after they get once they get the blood work done, it might take another two weeks to get that result back to the doctor's office and push all this back five weeks. So there you go. All right. All right. Again, comments, questions, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com. Ask the pipe maker, ask the blender questions. Uh, if you have a blend that you want me to review, email those to me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com, uh, vegaspipeshow.com, everything about the West Coast, uh, about the about the pipe show, <laughs> the West Coast pipe show, the Las Vegas International Pipe Show. Hope to see a lot of you there. It's going to be big. We've got a whole bunch of people coming looking forward to it so uh thank you to jeremy for joining me thank thank you to jason for joining me thank you all for tuning in and until next time Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy <laughs> What'll it be, stranger? Uh, I'll have uh, ice water. <laughs> ice water. <laughs> water. You want water? You better go dunk your head in the horse trough out there. In here, we pour whiskey. <laughs>